I want to get into the message. You all don't want to hear me ramble, so let's just get into what God has given me for today. I'm going to share it with you. And in throughout this thing, I'm going to weave a few things that I feel like the Lord's just been dropping on my heart while I've been here. So I have prepared, and I've made myself ready, and I've got notes ready, but I've got a few other things that the Holy Spirit's just been speaking to me during worship and such that I'm going to share with you as we kind of walk through this. We're talking about binding brokenhearted people. And we started this last week, and it really is an interesting subject because in theory, every one of us would say, yeah, we need to, have, we need to help the hurting. We need to help the broken. I, that's something that we tend to say, yes, we need to do something about that, whatever that is. And yet when it comes to helping broken people and hurting people, it's challenging. I mean, just think about how broken you were before Christ started working in your life. And how, even as he's working in your life, is there anybody in this room that you can say you're as far as you want to be in Christ right now? I mean, we're, we're all still working on this thing. And I was sharing with Beth yesterday, I'm like, I'm getting ready to be 40 stinking seven. And I've reached that age where you interject the word stinking between the first and last part of the number. Anybody, do you do that yet? You know, I'm like, I am, I'm not 47, I'm going to be 40 stinking seven, right? And I'm like, Jesus lives in me. And there's still so many areas where I fall short and I need his help and I need his strength. And my king died and rose at the age of 33 <laughs> and I need his perfection to live in me and to live through me. How many you know what I'm talking about? Because I'm, I'm just not there yet. And this subject's really challenging me in that. And let me remind you what we opened up with last week. Genesis 1:27 says this. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this came from the NIV 1984 copyright. And honestly, if you were going to look at it a little bit more literally from the Hebrew, it would be God created mankind in his own image. It's not just referring to men. So guys, we can't say, yes, I was created in the image of God. And babe, you're just lucky I had a spare rib. Okay, that's not where this is going. Man was created in the image of God, and women were created in the image of God. Mankind was created in God's image. Males and females were created in the image of God. Now notice, he didn't say those that followed him, those that love him, those that attend church perfectly, and they're kind and compassionate to everyone, and they walk with the fullness of the fruit of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. Those have been created in my image. It doesn't say that at all. It says that mankind was created in the image of God. God made people, all people, in His likeness. Every person on this planet resembles our Creator. Our adversary hates God and desires to stamp out God's image and replace it with his own image. There's a, there's a cosmic battle, struggle. There's a real God that sits on the throne. He's high and exalted. The train of his robe fills the temple. The seraphs fly around his presence and they declare, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The heavens are the throne and the earth is the footstool. And there's a real adversary that hates him. We call him Satan, call him the devil, call him Lucifer. He hates God. He hates the I am. And because he hates God, he hates what God loves and he hates what God's placed his own image into. That would be people. God's word says, David said, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. David recognized that God took the time to fashion me and to make me. I mean, how many of you, when you see a newborn baby, do you ever go, oh, wow, they're so average? Wow, look how ordinary they are. I mean, we don't do that. Even when they're born and all they're doing is drooling and eating and filling the diaper. Everybody on the family, from both sides of the family, are already crying, trying to claim whose image they've been made in. How many know what I'm talking about? That firstborn is born. And the wife's side of the family comes in, and the husband's side of the family comes in, and it is a race. Oh, that's grandma's nose. Oh, that is, that's our side. Look at those ears. That is just like your Uncle Gerald. He, uh, he is just like us. I knew he would look just like us. It is amazing how quickly we want to claim that they have been made into our image. And I'm usually thinking, give them a few minutes. They just came out, they look horrible. 
If that's the ear, the ear is completely bent over. And if it's the head, how many of you remember the cone heads on, on Saturday Night Live back in the day? I'm like, nobody's claiming that yet. But we do because we want to see what's been created in our image. We've been created in the image of God and the enemy hates that about us. Every, anytime we walk into the room, the image of God walks into the room. Oh, of course, Brad, I love Christ. I'm talking about those that don't. I'm talking about the beautiful Christian young lady that was on The Voice two years ago, that was gunned down just a day and a half ago, completely just atrocious and horrible and sick that somebody would just shoot a 20, 21-year-old girl who's signing autographs for free, just step up and kill her. She was created in the image of God. But I'm also talking about the people that were at the gay bar last night in Orlando, Florida, that a shooter came into that bar and started shooting people, and the last I heard, 50 people were killed. Last night, people that were created in the image of God, whether you're gay or straight, whether you're wealthy or poor, male or female, black or white, we were all created in the image of God, and it's time that God's people recognizes the enemy hates that about people. That's why he attacks people the way that he does. He just can't stand it. That's why he delights in brokenness. And Jesus delights in giving healing. And if Jesus, while he was on this planet, delighted in doing it, I would say that he would probably enjoy doing that through us. Giving healing through us and re restoration and hope and victory and freedom. Can I get an amen this morning? I mean, I think he would enjoy that. Matthew 9, 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And Jesus, he was referring at that time to tax collectors, drunkards, prostitutes, people that for whatever reason we tend to shy away from or say, you know what, I need to stay away from that kind of person. I mean, I understand God's word says that bad company corrupts good morals. And my best friends aren't broken people. But I also understand that broken people need a physician. And if I'm not spending time with the broken, who are they going to look to for hope? Who are they going to look to for help? If not you and me, we've got to believe that Jesus is strong enough in us that he can keep us from catching brokenness like you would catch a cold. We've also got to believe that he can love well enough through us that brokenness can be made whole in the lives of others. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have a story? How many were broken? How many don't necessarily want everybody to know about how broken you were? If he can do it for you, can he do it for anyone? If we don't admit that sin, sin leaves people broken and off target, we'll never give them the healing and the direction that they need. So we're in a culture that doesn't want to say that anybody's broken. And yet, everybody always says society's broken, but you don't want to identify it to any person. That's just not our way of tolerance anymore. Broken people make broken decisions. And I'm so grateful that God is willing to look past the broken decision and see the person that made that choice. I'm going to be open with you for a moment. I'll close off here in a second, but I'll be open for a moment. Before my dad accepted Christ, my dad was really physically rough on my brothers and I. And looking back, probably you would say he was abusive. And this isn't me up here having a counseling session with you. I've already worked through all those issues. But I'll, I'll, honestly, he was, he was a broken man. He was an abusive man. I remember the time that you didn't go to school because the, face, the handprint across your face was there for so long that you knew that when you went to school, dad was going to get in trouble. So there was, there was a lot of abuse in my dad's life. Now, looking back at it as a 40 stinking seven-year-old man, I recognized that broken people make broken decisions. My dad was hurting, and because he was hurting, he hurt others. How many you know that hurting people hurt people? Do, you under, do we understand that? I mean, it really does happen. I've never really understood how you can be in a situation that's so destructive and then follow the same destructive pattern rather than going, there's no way I'm going to go that direction. 
But you know what? I was the oldest in my family, five years older than my younger brother, Kurt. And I saw in my life the very pattern that was in my dad's life because my dad would take it out on me and then I would take it out on my brother, Kurt. I've repented to Kurt for the things that he endured at the hand of an older brother that was broken and that brokenness was being emphasized by what I was going through and I passed it right down the line to my younger brother. How many had an older brother that was horrible to you? I was that brother. I mean, I was that guy. I hope that you look at me and go, I can't even imagine that. I hope you're not going, oh, I can see it. I can see Because <laughs> if you can see it, I got a long way to go. I hope that that's hard to imagine. But I've had those conversations with Kurt and I'm like, Kurt, I, am, I don't even know how. I would, and logically, it makes no sense that I made that choice except that I repeated the pattern and the brokenness that was given to me that we all endured. And I think that we're full of a society where people are so broken and they don't even know how to handle it. And we go, well, we need the traditional family structure and how many, where can you find a traditional family? And we need churches that'll pray people through to deliverance and when we talk about deliverance, lots of times people look at us like we have a third eyeball in the middle of our forehead. Yeah, we all want deliverance and freedom, freedom, but we don't want to admit that there are spiritual strongholds, that demons attack the lives of people. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit as long as it doesn't make me uncomfortable with somebody speaking in a language that I don't understand. And we've got all this brokenness, and we keep trying to limit what we can offer to give people healing. Listen, the reason we're given the fullness of Christ is because it takes the fullness of Christ to minister to the emptiness of humanity. It takes everything that he has to offer. Now in Ezekiel chapter 16, and I know we're going old school when I look in the Old Testament, but it's such a beautiful passage. God says, I bathed you with water. I washed off your blood from you. I anointed you with oil. I also clothed you with embroidered cloth and put sandals on your feet and I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. When I read that the other day, I said covered you with silk and then I thought silk milk. I don't know why, but they've, they've done a great job with their marketing that that's where my mind went when I read this. Do you see kind of a, a progression in this passage? It's really beautiful. God speaking through his prophet Ezekiel. Now, just to give you a little background, some of you like it. For those of you that don't, you can check out for a minute. But Ezekiel, he was, uh, he was from the Levitical tribe. He was a Levite. He was, so that meant he was like from a pastor's family. He was from a priestly family. He was a married guy. He had been exiled to Babylon. Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, was an incredibly powerful king, and they had reached all the way over to Israel and captured many of the Israelites what they thought were the best and the brightest, and they brought them to Babylon to take advantage of using them, putting them to work, whatever the case may be, and they left the fragile and the broken in Jerusalem. The temple was still standing, but the whole city was kind of annihilated. And so they were taken to, Jerusalem, uh, to, to Babylon, and this was in like 597 BC, so almost 600 years before Christ. And Ezekiel, if you read through the whole, the whole book, and it's huge, his message really is kind of a two-part message. You have the message before the temple was destroyed in 583 BC. So Ezekiel's in Babylon, and he's saying this message, and here was God's message to his people. I've washed you with water. I've washed off the blood. I've, I've anointed you with oil. And that would really symbolize like healing, that I'm giving you what you need for healing. I'm bandaging your wounds. I'm taking care of you. I love you. I've put garments on you, embroidered garments. You've even got sandals. You're not having to walk around barefoot. I've given you linens. I've given you silk. I've loved you with an everlasting love. People mistreated you, they abused you, they attacked you, they tore you down, but I've given you my best because you're my child and I love you. And even in the middle of sharing that message, you know what Israel was doing? You ready for this? They were sacrificing their children to Molech and to Baal. They were killing their own infants. I know that doesn't happen anymore, but they were killing their own infants. They were worshiping false gods. 
They were oppressing the poor. They were mistreating the aliens among them. People that came into their nation that didn't have citizenship, they were taking advantage of them. Listen, if you've ever been overseas, you know what it's like to walk into a culture where you don't speak the native language and you feel vulnerable. Even when we went to Ireland and they speak our language, the accent is so strong that I would listen to every word because you would feel vulnerable. And I'm like, how much was that again? How much? Because you feel so vulnerable and you don't want to be taken advantage of because you can't quite understand what's going on. And that happens. And I've seen people mistreated and taken advantage of in our culture because they simply don't understand and somebody capitalizes on that. How many know where there's a lack of understanding, there's always someone willing to take advantage of the situation? The Israelites were doing that. They were taking advantage. They were mistreating. They weren't loving properly. And that was the message that was going out before the temple was destroyed. Repent because I've done this for you. Treat people well because I've loved you. Give your best because I care for you. But they refused to. They refused to repent. The temple was destroyed. And then the message was this. I love you. Just turn to me. I'll bring you home. You haven't fallen too far for me to do a work in your life. You haven't committed too many sins. You haven't made too many mistakes. I can still restore you because I love you. Pastor Brad, what are you saying God was saying? I'm saying that when they were caught up in sin before the temple was destroyed, God was telling them about his great love for them and exhorting them to be people of justice and mercy and kindness. And after the temple was destroyed, when their hearts were broken, God's message was, I'll restore you because of my justice, my kindness, my love for you, and then you can duplicate it on the earth. What an amazing God. See, I, I'd be the kind of guy that they don't listen to the message, and then I eventually go, you got what you deserved. Have you ever done that? Well, he's going to get what he deserves. He, would you do that with your child if they're going back to the electrical outlet for the fifth time that day? I mean, would you really go there? Your wife looks at you and she says, honey, he's getting ready to reach into the outlet. Babe, I've told him five times today not to touch it. Five times... He's 18 months old. Yeah, I've told him five times. I've swatted his fingers. I've said, no, no, no. It'll bite. It'll hurt. I've done, I'm, I'm exhausted with it. He's got rebellion in his life. He's going to learn a lesson. You go to the hospital. What happened to your child? Well, you know what? He got what was coming to him. You saw your child going over to the outlet. Yeah, he had a fork. I thought he was going to get it in there deep enough. He would never forget what took place. I mean, would you do that? Only three of you, okay? Amber said maybe, all right, okay? Only three? No, you don't do that. You see them walk into that outlet? I don't care if you've got arthritis. You are running as fast as you can and diving across the living room to keep them from killing themselves. How come? It doesn't matter how many times you've told them. They just don't know better yet. They just don't know. Why would we expect people that are alienated from God to know better? Why would we expect people that are raised in a broken home, educated by a broken society, and know YouTube, uh, people that are famous on YouTube and don't even know American history, how would we expect them to make a good decision? And why would we be bitter at them that they can't? God says... I'm the one that rescues you and I wash you with water. I've got to be honest with you. That to me is a really broken situation. When he says, where I, where I found you, I had to wash you, I had to wipe off your blood, and I had to anoint you with oil. The whole inference here is that he dressed our wounds. He dressed us when we were wounded. And then you've got this second image. He goes, I also put on embroidered cloth and I gave you sandals for your feet. Do you know what that represents? It represents family. When you get embroidered cloth, you're getting family garments. So the Lord's saying, I started by dressing your wounds, but now I've dressed you into my, you're my sons and daughters. How many of you ever, have ever done the Disney World trip? How many of you have ever done that trip? How many plan to never do that trip? Okay. There's so many times, we've been there a couple of times and the children are screaming and I'm thinking, happiest place on earth, happiest place on earth. 
I'll tell you what it is. It's the longest lines on earth, okay? And, and, and the mouse put a curse on every ride. It's the longest lines. But it, it's funny how different families have. I even see it on Facebook. Disney 2016, they've got their countdown going on and the family's looking forward to it. And I'm like, there goes the mortgage, right? Heading to Disney. So we, we know what Disney's like. The families handle it differently. Have you ever seen the ones that they show their pictures and they all have like the family t-shirt on? It's all the same color. It's got their name on it. And then they've got like little nicknames. And you're like, that might be cute at home, but it looks really horrible. Look, little half pint, little quarter love, and little bubba bubba, and blah, 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 right? It's all out there and you can see it. How many of you are the family that wears the same shirt when you go? Come on, you can be honest. We can pray for you. Okay, Amber, God, wow. So you've responded twice. So you're a same shirt family. Incredible shirts, okay? All right, and she's a missionary. Okay. How many of you are the ones that laugh at the families with the same shirts on? It's okay. God made you that way. Is that all right? Okay. So we've got those that wear the same shirts and they've got the nicknames and those that have incredible characters and those that laugh at those and take pictures at them behind their back like God would have us to do. Right. So I get it. So it, it just depends kind of how your family handles it. We don't handle it all with wearing the same shirt. I mean, I remember the first time when I was an evangelist that Beth and I were getting ready to go to a service and she thought that our shirts looked too similar. She's like, oh no, we got to change. We are not going to be that couple. All right. We're not going to be that couple. I'm like, what couple? The couple that looks alike. No way are we going to do that. But when you look at this, whatever your style is, it's family. And if you're one of those that all wear the incredible shirts, that's awesome because that's part of the memory and it's fun. And if you're one of those that laugh at everybody in the hot pink Disney 2016 t-shirt, that's cool too because it's family. And God says to us, I don't just heal you, but I bring you into my family. I just bring you into my family. You're my sons, you're my daughters, you're my children. I've called you by name. Then it progresses even more, and he says, I've wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. You know what that is, right? That's royalty. Fine linens and silks were for the wealthy, were for royalty. So God's saying to us, I didn't just give you healing and leave you in the hospital, but I brought you home, and I gave you my own clothing, and I've made you royalty in my kingdom. You realize that I'm, I'm speaking to the, the princes and the princesses of the almighty king today. You're royalty in Christ Jesus. That's amazing when you think about it. Here's a thought. There is a love of God that only the God of love can give. So we must let him love through us for us to give it. I mean, we can talk about the love of God and I can do an exegetical homiletical hermeneutic. Wouldn't you love that? And I can teach on the love of God and agape and phileo and eros and we can break it all down. But the love of God isn't just taught. The love of God is caught. And I can only love with the love of God if the God of love is loving in me. Because it's supernatural. I can't love the way God asks me to love if I don't let my life open up to the God of love to live it through me because it's beyond nature, it's beyond my ability to do so. God doesn't just see the brokenness of our choices, he sees our brokenness that causes our choices. When Brad Riley punched his younger brother that was five years younger and the fight wasn't fair and it wasn't right and it was sinful, God didn't just see an angry young teenager with a temper that hit his younger brother. God saw a young man that was broken and lashing out in his brokenness that needed his image restored, his sonship restored, and his life restored. And that's what he still sees in the lives of people today. We can get so mad at the drunk driver and he continues to drink and drive and he continues to drink too much alcohol. And we say, we just need to teach them to use wisdom in their drunkenness. That they get a sober driver, they get a designated driver. We need, to, we need to teach them how to manage their anger in their drunkenness. Where You know, alcoholism is just passed down through the family anyway, so there's nothing we can do. So we need to manage it carefully. 
<laughs> that is so the wrong strategy. Why does that person that's risked his life behind the wheel while drunk over and over again, why does he continue to do it? Why is he continuing to step away from the family and to fill himself, not just having a drink, but filling himself with a poison that changes his whole perspective to love? Why is he continuing to do that? We don't need to manage that. We need to offer hope so that somebody can be freed from that. Am I going to get an amen today or not? I mean, we, we need to give somebody some hope here. I had a conversation with a lady this week on Thursday, and I said, how you doing? I hadn't seen her in a while. You know what the first thing she said to me was? She said, this August, I'll be sober for two years. Amen. I'm like, that is fantastic. That is awesome. I've had people that I've prayed with that have said, Pastor Brad, I haven't smoked pot in a month. I'm like, that is amazing. I'm so proud of you. And you're like, well, it's only been a month. Listen, if you don't have the first day, you'll never have the second day. You'll never have the month if you don't get started. We celebrate that you've been clean from, for a month because as you're getting, as God's blessing you and he's giving you control of your mind and control of your thoughts and control of your emotions and your spirit, it's not just about being sober. It's about pursuing the purpose and the calling and the assignment that God has for your life. But helping broken people can be messy. Because they might say, I've been sober for a month. And then the next week go, I've been sober for three days. There you go, oh, should we talk? Yeah, we need to talk. And when you're helping broken people, sometimes you've got to help them again and again and again. Can I get a, you're not kidding, pastor. It takes some work, okay? Number one, here we go, let's wrap this thing up. God dressed the wounds of people. The anointing oil, the balm, the wrap, he dressed the wounds of people. Isn't that what Jesus did when he said, hey, they're hungry, let's feed them? There's Simon the leper. He, he, needs to be, he needs to be freed of that leprosy. Let's touch him. Can I re remind you as well that he was willing to give love and healing to people regardless of what their future was going to look like? In other words, let me remember, how many remember the story where 10 people with leprosy came to Jesus for healing, and Jesus said, hey, go show yourself to the priest, and as they were on their way to the priest, they all realized that they were healed. How many remember that story? How many of those with leprosy came back and said thank you to Jesus? One, 10%, even Jesus gets a tie, right? Only one out of 10 came back and said thank you. Now, I wasn't there, but I doubt Jesus was bitter by that. He, he did say, weren't all nine healed, remember? But you're the one that came back to say thank you. But he didn't say, and now I take the healing off the other nine. They shall be cursed with leprosy every day from this day forward. Blah. He didn't do it. He didn't spew on them because they didn't say thank you. As a matter of fact, I would say that so much of what Jesus did was to help us learn a lesson. I think Jesus wanted us to know that you give healing not because people say thank you, but because healing needs to be given. Sometimes when you minister to broken people, depending on where they are, they don't even have the ability to say thank you. You just start where they are and you give the love of Jesus. And if you need to, you give a little bit more because he's in you to give that kind of love. I've been a pastor for a long time now. And I'll admit, one of the things that has frustrated me is specifically when I've walked someone through deliverance from demonization. That they have partnered with false spirits in their life and, and there's footholds in their life. And I've ministered to them and we've taken the time and we've dealt with that to see them set free. And you look up a month and a half later and they are making choices to walk that line to open up themselves to strongholds again. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, how many know that God's word says that when you drive out a false spirit, it'll go and try to come back to the house. And if it finds the house empty, what does it say? You remember? It'll bring seven spirits even more wicked than itself back. And I'm like, oh, here we go. If they go, if they follow that path, the, the, it's going to be worse for them than it was previously. And then I typically think this, and it's going to be worse for me. Can I be that open with you, or do you not want to hear your pastor's selfishness? 
because that was hard to get that person free. That was a challenge. And we navigated it, and we listened to the Holy Spirit, and we dealt with it, and this is going to be even harder. There goes another afternoon. I don't think that Jesus was frustrated about potential afternoons that he might have to lose from his schedule. You know what I'm talking? I mean, how many of you have ever had to minister or you've ministered to a broken person? How many of you have ever ministered to that same broken person over and over and over again? It takes some people with patience and kindness and love to forgive 70 times seven. It takes some of us to do that because so many people aren't willing to do that. We dress the wounds, then we minister healing. Number two, we dress people in sonship. We let them know that they're not an outsider looking in, but they're a son and they're a daughter. Jeremy and Melissa Jacobs were here in the first service this morning, which always blows my mind. I think they have seven children, seven, right? Nine, 27, they, 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 I don't even know. They drive, they drive a 15-passenger van. Okay, they've got a lot of kiddos, and yet they adopted Hadassah Joy earlier this year. And it's just beautiful seeing the way that they love on her and the way that the rest of the children love on her. You know one thing I know? She's been adopted by them. She has the same rights, the same privileges, the same daughtership as the naturally born daughters the same sonship as the naturally born sons. She has been brought into the family and her last name, it's not Hadassah Joy something else, it's Hadassah Joy Jacobs. She's been brought into the family. We need to start seeing people out there as potential family members that can be brought in. We heal the brokenness and we lead them to their adoption. Pastor Brad, they're crazy. Let me ask you this. How many have some crazy people in your family anyway? I mean, how many of you have some, some family reunions and you have some uncles that you don't want to sit at the table with for too long of a time? I mean, every family's got to have a few crazies in it. I mean, God loves, he made those crazy people. He made those people that live in South St. Louis. He loves them, right? I mean, he, he loves those, those people. John chapter 20, verse 17 says, Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I absolutely love this. Before Jesus could get away from the grave and get to his Father in heaven, one of the ladies is already there intercepting that moment. And he says, hey, don't grab me yet. Don't touch me yet. I haven't even made it back to my, I, you, you know how early you are? I just, I just came back to life here, and I'm getting ready to go to my father and make everything right. And after I make everything right, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to talk to my brothers. Notice he didn't say, I'm going to talk to my disciples. I'm going to talk to the apostles. I'm going to talk to my followers. No, he said, I'm going to talk to my brothers. Go back instead and tell, go tell them, tell my brothers, I'm ascending to my father and your father. My God and your God. We tend to refer to each other as Christ followers, and we are. As disciples, and we are. Apostles, and we are. But do you realize Jesus himself, after ascending from the grave, said, go and tell my brothers. It's about family. It's about family. It's always been about bringing us in to family. Here's a thought. Jesus didn't come to return to his father, but to lead all of us to our father. I'm going to go there because it's biblical. Every right that Jesus had as a son, you have. You have it. Because Jesus ascended to the father and gave us the rights of family. Every authority that Jesus had, you have. Every ability by faith that Jesus had, you have. And I, I know it's hard to put our minds around. You're like, well, Pastor Brad, I'm not Jesus. And you're right, you're not Jesus. But Jesus lives in you. 
and you also live in Christ. And God's word says that you are in Christ and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in heavenly realms. By position, you might be physically on this planet with Jesus in you and that's beautiful, but by authority, you're at the right hand of the Father seated in Christ Jesus with everything that's under his feet it's under your feet. Come on, that, somebody could get excited about that one. Maybe I should preach it better. I'm telling you, church, in the authority of God Almighty, you are seated at the right hand of the Father, and everything that's under the feet of Jesus is under your feet. No, you're all, no, it's horrible today. It's horrible. I'm 47. I might be old, but I'm bringing it today. We got we to recognize this. We have an authority in Christ Jesus. And every stronghold that seems so hard to break through, that seems above us, there's not a stronghold above us because we are in Christ. Every stronghold is below us. That's why Jesus says through Paul in Romans 16, 19, and 20, be excellent in what is good, be innocent of evil, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your what? Your feet. He didn't say he's going to soon crush Satan over your head. He's not over my head. He's already been crushed because Jesus ascended from the dead. He is under my feet, and because he's under my feet, I'm victorious. Number three, God dressed people in royalty. He put fine linens on them, silk on them. He gave them wealth. He ministered to their needs. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 says this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people that belong to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, not only are you healed and loved, not only are you brought into the family, but according to God's word, you're a chosen royal priest. I remember growing up in the church, if I was ever frustrated with my pastor, my grandma would say, don't you say anything about your pastor. I'm like, well, I'm just a little frustrated. She, don't you say anything about your pastor. And then she'd typically say this, don't touch God's anointed. How many of you, how many of you ever heard that? It's a good word. Now that I'm a pastor, I think it should be practiced. All right? I have no doubt. It's a good word. You need to receive it. Okay? And she was absolutely right because she recognized an anointing on that position. I mean, she recognized it. And it's something that she ingrained into me, and, and she spoke into my life, and I recognized it. The gentleman that was my pastor through the influential years of my early teenage years into my early adulthood, his name's Gary Dimbo. Whenever I see him, I still call him pastor. I, 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 I tell you his name. I have never one time in my life said, hi, Gary. I have way too much respect for what the pastoral position is. And I honor that. He's Pastor Dimbo. He, after leaving the church that I grew up in, he went on to be the president of Central Bible College for several years. He's incredibly educated. He's got all this clout. I don't call him President Dimbo. I don't call him Dr. Dimbo. Even all those things. To me, he's Pastor Dimbo. And it's always going to be that way. There's an authority there. At the same time, I want all of us to recognize that in Christ, when it comes to our relationship and our role in the world, we are chosen royal priests. You have an anointing. You have a calling. Have you ever thought, man, that person needs a pastor? That person, that person needs an evangelist. That person needs an apostle. That person needs a prophet. Well, guess what? Here you are, evangelists, prophets, apostles. It, it's us. It's the people of the kingdom doing the work of the kingdom. If we're hoping that just the pastoral staff can help us save the city, our hope's in the wrong place. None of us can do that. 
but all of us walking in the role of a royal priesthood can change nations for the glory of Christ. When I see you, I see royal priests. I see sons and daughters of the king that carry an anointing of deliverance and freedom. Think about it. Love gives freely without mortgaging future loyalty from those to whom it is given. You might want to tweet that one out. Because we tend to live in a society where we will love well those who love us back well. But didn't Jesus say, <laughs> even the heathen does that. You might have a family that's completely broken, but in their brokenness, they still love each other. You got a guy serving four life sentences, but he has a tattoo that says what? Mama. Right? I mean, even heathens love each other. But it takes the supernatural love of God to love people if they never love you back. To give your last dime, even if you don't see that you reap a harvest for it. That you're like, I'm going to love and I'm going to give. Jesus demonstrated the full extent of his love by the ultimate surrender of the fullness of himself. Every drop of blood, every bit of life laid out so that we could be brought into the kingdom. I'm going to close with a thought from Mother Teresa. I don't quote her often, but she helped to pen this poem many years ago. And I, I know it's had a little editing on it for uh, language purposes, but it, it just makes such a beautiful statement about helping broken people. I want to share it with you. It says, people are often unreasonable, unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Have you ever done that? You're just trying to be kind to someone, and they're like, well, you're doing it for, you're like, wow, be kind anyway. If you're successful, you'll win some false friends and some true enemies. Succeed anyway. If you're honest and frank, people may cheat you. Be honest and frank anyway. What you spend years building, someone could destroy overnight. Build anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, they may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today, people will often forget tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. But give the best you've got anyway. You see... In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between just you and them anyway. I think we can put that up here where we get it all. It'll be a little smaller, but it'll all be on one slide if you want to get a picture of that. And then you can blow it up later. Isn't that true? You can spend your lifetime working on something, and one person of destruction could come in and destroy it. But it doesn't mean that your lifetime was in vain. I'm going to close. I'm going to share a thought. I've got a bunch. You know me. If you're visiting at Faith Chapel, our church supports um, on a daily basis. We've, we are used to feed 160 children every day in the Philippines and in Tanzania. And that's just absolutely amazing that every day... This church feeds 160 children in those two places and two orphanages. Um, but besides that, we've been involved with Samuel's House Orphanage outside of Caracas, Venezuela for years. We support the missionaries there, Gary and Patricia Heine. We've supported their team. Um, how many of you that are in this room right now, I know we had a bunch in the first service, how many of you have been to Venezuela on that missions trip with us? We've see several hands that we've been there. We have poured blood, sweat, tears, nothing like Gary and Patty have for years. But what's taking place in Venezuela is so devastating right now as they are trying to move hyper-socialism into communism that there's literally no food in the grocery stores. And when you've oppressed people to the point that they now have no food, the violence is taking place. The political party that's in control 
they're telling people that the only way that they'll get food is if they continue to support the party that's in control. So it's not about giving food to people that are hungry. It's about giving food to people that will keep you in office. It's, this is horrible. In the mid-90s, Caracas was known for having one of the best uh, subway systems in the entire world. Technologies were coming out of Venezuela. These are an incredible group of people. And in our lifetime, we are watching a nation become Cuba. We're watching people being, they're losing everything. And what's happened, Gary and Patty, and many of you have even seen this on Facebook, they, they literally are having to release all their missionaries back to the United States because the violence is so bad that even a month and a half ago, people broke into Gary's home, shot at him with a shotgun, missed his head by about three feet. God divinely intervened in protecting his life. These, the, the Gary and Patty, you all know them. They've ministered here. We've ministered there. I thought about them a lot when I was preparing this message today because we've all poured thousands of dollars and hours and love into this orphanage. And I want you to know, Gary has said over and over again, please continue to support the orphanage. We will continue to get funds to the nationals that are taking care of the children. We'll continue to gonna get funds to them to take care of the children. So we continue to support them. But can you imagine, it's so bad that your work for the last 25 years of your life, you're having to walk away from that and come home. Can you imagine? What's taking place in the nation and the devastation is no reflection upon the kingdom work of Gary and Patty and all of us that have partnered with them. You do the right thing because it's the right thing in Christ regardless of what anybody else does. And you could spend a lifetime reaching out to a community for somebody to come in and to bring destruction. But if they bring destruction, it doesn't change what's taken place for a lifetime. It doesn't change it. And we've got to start recognizing that success in God's eyes is not bigger buildings and bigger funds and bigger resources. Success in God's eyes is being obedient to him and to ministering to the broken the way that he did. Is this a tough word today or just a real quiet word? Because we've got to recognize if we want our life to be about legacy, it's got to be about people. And it's got to be about feeding and helping and strengthening and delivering. And if they're hungry again next week, feed them again next week. And if they're still broken, bring them back in and wrap them up with more healing. And I know eventually they're going to grab hold of the one grabbing a hold of them because he grabbed a hold of me and eventually I held on. And eventually you held on. And we said, yes, Lord, more of you, less of me. I want what you want rather than what I want. Use my life for your purpose rather than your purpose. And broken people get healed. And when broken people are healed, healed people release the healer. And lives are changed. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you would use us the way you use Jesus to be about the Father's business. I mean, Jesus, you even said of yourself, you didn't even have a, a, a fox has a, a den and a bird has a nest. You didn't even have a place to lay your head. But you did everything that your Father called you to do. And I ask, Father, that you will help us not to view the success of our lives by the size of our bank account, not to view the success of our lives even by the size of our ministries. Help us to view success as being obedient to walk in your presence and learning that your presence releases healing to everyone that we come in contact with. Father, I pray that you will raise up believers that love you and adore you to minister healing in the Orlando community after the shootings last night.
I pray that Christians won't stand on the sideline and go, yep, you're being judged for your sin, but rather we'll step in and minister to brokenness. Use us, God. Use people that love you to show your love in these moments. The world just doesn't understand the love of God because the church doesn't understand the love of God. Lord, we're not under judgment today. Judgment day's coming. But this isn't judgment day. This is the day of the kingdom. It's the day to give grace. It's the day to give authority. It's the day to give healing, God. Help us to do that. Help us to demonstrate that and to release that. And I pray you'll help us to do it in our lives as well. And take just a moment with nobody looking around for just a moment. Are you in here and you're like, Pastor Brett, I've listened to all this today, but I need Jesus in my own life. I am that wounded person that you're talking about. I'm not a son. I'm not a daughter. I'm, I'm broken, and I, I need that healing. If that's you, would you just slip up a hand and put it right back down? I'm not going to call you forward. We're not, God bless you. Is there anybody else? Today's your day. Thank you for that. Is there anybody else? You're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, I just need him today. I just need to be his. God bless you. Is there anybody else? Appreciate your honesty. Listen, I know what it's like. There was a season I wasn't a son. <laughs> I, I, I just needed to accept the adoption that I have. Is there anybody else? Today's your day. You're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, I want Jesus. I've seen people respond this morning that they want to, today to be the day they surrender to him. Isn't that amazing? And to let him move in. Let's pray this together. Would you say, Heavenly Father, I believe in you. And I'm not going to believe everything that the world says about you. Everything that religion says about you. And everything that culture says about you. You love me. You sent your son for me. To bring me to yourself. And I'm grateful. So today... I'm asking you to be my God, to be my Father, to move into my life so I can move into your life and be your child. I accept my adoption into the kingdom of heaven. I'm yours. Amen. Come on, church. That's awesome. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you.